hole and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 16th episode of Polcast. In this episode, we will tell you how a Canadian astronomer of Polish descent has been recording UFO sightings for 27 years. About something as Polish as storks and Polish vodka. How Poles have embraced Oxford-style debates. Remember Ivona Malinowski's School of Polish for Adults in the area of Toronto? Here is another story I heard from her students. My name is Kara. Um, I'm originally from the U.S. I, um, my family is in Ohio. I lived in Florida for a few years. So I met my spouse um, when he was living in the U.S. So he is um, Polish, was born in Poland, came to Canada when he was five. Um, so we decided to move back here with the, where the rest of his family is. And um, just kind of the plan is I want, whenever we decide to have children, I want to make sure that they have a second language, that I can understand it as well, and send them to Polish school. I find it really important. I don't really have much of roots. Um, for, for us, like, we consider ourselves American. We have, like, German backgrounds so far back that nothing was ever passed down to us, and I just really wish I would have had something passed down. So I find it, like, so important for me to, like, be able to, really have children and have them involved in the Polish culture and the Polish language. So that's why this is my second year doing this class, to try to really understand and pick up what I didn't learn last time, and so it's been really amazing. Most Poles are very emotional and not particularly disciplined debaters. Also, we live in the times of widespread violence and aggression, also verbal. So it is important to teach people how to discuss issues with others who do not share their opinions. In Warsaw, Oxford-style debates have become very popular and are held regularly in two different venues, open to the public and drawing crowds. I'm talking to Grzegorz Nawrocki, a renowned journalist from Warsaw, Cambridge University graduate, chairman of the British Alumni Society, an organization of Polish alumni of British universities who masterminded these debates and hosts them. For quite a long time, you have been involved in organizing debates. And I just want to know how, how important, in your opinion, they are and how successful have they been? I think they're extremely important because, for one thing, we are trying to teach Polish students or Polish politicians and future politicians how to debate political issues in a way that is convincing to the audience, but, of course, not using the arguments that should not be allowed, for example, at personal, sort of, sort of, you know, regarding personal things. 
and teaching them how to use a language to win their own cause. This is extremely important because most of the Polish universities and high schools, indeed, we're talking about um, some younger students as well, do not teach it in practice. The skills that can be learned from just trying to do it, just interacting with the audience, coming up with your arguments, fighting with the arguments of the other, of the opposition, of the other side, is just a very good way to become a good and proficient politician. We do it as a British alumni society, as a society set up by those who are graduates of British universities and live in Poland, bring the experience from the United Kingdom to to Poland, you know, best examples of the best academic practice from Oxford and Cambridge Union societies. Everybody can come and actually lots of people from various environments, from various circles, various ages, from very young people who actually actively take part in, this, in, in, the, in the debates. And very old people who, who just enjoy being a part of it or listening to the debates, they come both to the Teatr Polski, which is one of our series, or to the Warsaw University, which is another series of, of what we do. How many have you organized so far? Dozens. Three and a half years, every month, various topics. Sometimes they trigger lots of controversies. We've actually developed um, well-organized communities around those debates, and we, we, we're proud of it. Who do you invite as participants? We've got two series, as I've just mentioned to you. It's a Teatr Polski is the one. The other one is the Warsaw University. So Teatr Polski, we basically invite renowned speakers from the world of politics, from the world of journalism, public activists. In the other series, we basically invite students of Warsaw University and the alumni of the Leader School. By the way, the Leader School is set up by Professor Zbigniew Boczynski, who is a professor emeritus at St. Anthony's College at Oxford. Done it with Professor Boczynski for 15 years or so. Can you give me a few examples of the topics that you debated? Yeah, for example, one should not laugh at religion. And there's, of course, a, a team in the proposition saying, yes, it is the case. One should not laugh at religion. Then there was uh, the opposition. By the way, the opposition to, the, to this motion won. Another one, euthanasia should be legalized. Recently, we had democracy in Poland is under threat. But it's usually very provocative those subjects. It's all well documented, it's all online. Do you find that um, teachers, for example, encourage their students to attend those debates, especially the ones that are, you know, mostly for young people and with young people? Many teachers actually do come with their students to those debates. One of the new initiatives of British Alumni Society is um, annual Teacher of English Award, which we held this year at the Royal Castle in Warsaw. There were about 200 teachers of English from across Poland. Some of them came with the students with a particular thought in mind that they would organize in their respective schools in various parts of the country, Oxford-style debates on various subjects, treating it as a sort of extracurricular activity and added value to the English classes. We're very happy that it is attractive for both teachers and students. Do you believe there's any chance that uh, active politicians might maybe look into getting a little bit of training in something like that so that the style of politics and the rhetoric changes a bit because it's pretty well known to be very aggressive. 
Yes, that's you know you're asking a sort of political philosophical question because because what we're observing at the moment is actually the language being more and more radical, more and more aggressive. I would even say more and more absurd. I mean, the less reasonable you are, the better. The more scandalous you are, the better. The more personal you get. The better, because you get because you get the quotes in the tabloids, in the in the electronic media. It's you know the regulations and the whole idea behind it is a little bit different. But all the same, it gives you a very very good training because you have to be alert to what other people say and to actually answer the questions at Oxford style debates. Normally, uh, you actually get answers to your questions. Then at least that's the idea. Is is this um, is this happening anywhere else? I mean, are these Oxford-style debates as widely uh, spread in other countries? I mean, is there anybody basically doing what you guys do in Poland? Yes, there are organizations, and more and more organizations, even commercial organizations, use it because it's a very useful tool and very sort of transparent. With all the time constraints and mutual reactions. It's basically an attractive format to train. So yes, I do. Ha- I do hear of a lot of examples that it's actually this type of debating is used not only by institutions or judiciary. I heard it's actually used by the United States judiciary system at some at some levels as a practice, of course, as a, as a training. It's also used by commercial companies. Yeah, I think it's a it's a very good good tool to learn how to speak and of course we know that those who can speak effectively are those who actually have power language speaking is power we know that it started in greece long time ago and it's still true till today you will hear grzegorz nawrocki in the next episode of polcast talking about a program which allows talented polish teenagers to study in the best British high schools and then continue their education in top universities in the world. I remember my childhood summer vacations on the Baltic coast in Poland. Every summer, we would impatiently wait for a storm so that immediately after, we could go for a walk along the shore and look for pieces of amber washed out by the sea. There were so many of them, and some of them were quite sizable. A real magic time. Amber, bursztyn orienter in Polish, is fossilized tree sap that dates back even 40 million years. It comes from around the world, but the highest quality and richest deposits are found around the Baltic Sea. During the colder months, when the water density reaches its highest point, amber flows up from the seabed and it's washed to shore by the waving sea. Amber has one amazing feature. You can often see insects or fragments of plants trapped within it, which are also millions of years old. Those are some of the most ancient examples of ants, moths, bees, caterpillars, or pollen grains. That is why amber is such a treasure for paleontologists. Amber has been used since the Stone Age, about 13,000 years ago. Amber ornaments have been found in Mycenaean tombs in Greece. 
Amber was a valuable commodity, sometimes called the gold of the north. The Amber Road was an ancient trade route for the transfer of amber from the coastal areas of the Baltic Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. Prehistoric trade routes between northern and southern Europe were defined by the amber trade. As an important raw material, amber was transported from the Baltic Sea coast overland by the way of Vistula and the Dnieper rivers to Italy, Greece, the Black Sea, Syria and Egypt thousands of years ago. Amber has long been used in folk medicine for its purported healing properties. Amber and extracts were used from the time of Hippocrates in ancient Greece for a wide variety of treatments through the Middle Ages. We know amber mostly as small pieces of jewelry, but the biggest object created from it was the amber room, a world-famous chamber decorated in amber panels located in Catherine Palace near St. Petersburg. Originally constructed in 18th century in Prussia, the amber room disappeared during World War II. You can buy exquisite objects made of amber in galleries all over Poland, but the most famous are in Gdańsk, a spectacular 13th century port city on the Baltic coast. Every year for the last 27 years, Canadians, and not only, read the annual Canadian UFO survey created and published by Winnipeg-based ufology research. They learn about all the UFO sightings in the whole country in the previous year, how many there were, where they happened, what kind. Last year, there were 1,267 of them, most often happening in Quebec. The man behind it is Chris Rutkowski, a Canadian astronomer of Polish descent from the University of Winnipeg, author of eight books, passionate science educator. He has been involved in the research on UFOs for over 40 years. What exactly does the ufology research do? Well, what we're doing is collecting as many UFO reports as possible from across Canada to get a good idea of what really is being experienced by people who say they've seen things. We want to know is uh, the person in British Columbia who sees a UFO, is that different in some way from a person in Nova Scotia? Are the colors different? Is the sighting a bit longer? Are there more cases in British Columbia versus Nova Scotia? Uh, are they uh, uh, more at night or are they during the day? We wanted to get a good idea, and believe it or not, despite the fact that UFOs have been reported in the modern age of UFOs anyways, since the 40s, um, there hasn't really been a, a good understanding of these characteristics um, since, uh, since going back to the 40s and 50s when the United States government was doing a, an in-depth study. In fact, they finished their, their major study in uh, 1969 when the United States Air Force concluded its study. And since then, there haven't really been any really rigorous studies of UFOs anywhere in the world. And in Canada, we have the advantage that we don't get as many as some countries. We don't have as many researchers as others because we're quite spread out. There's one or two per province. Uh, but we do have a good idea of which, which uh, um, cases are being reported through uh, the Internet now, but originally through uh, 
newspaper accounts, through uh, magazines, through reports that were filed directly to uh, researchers, and certainly reported to the uh, Canadian government itself. We do have a good record of cases that were reported to the Canadian government, and this allows us to get a good snapshot every year of what people really are seeing. So if you were to um, to look back and, and, and summarize these years, what is what are the trends? The answer is that there is actually some change from year to year. As a matter of fact, we're now in our 27th year of, of doing the Canadian UFO survey. I actually have been involved since the 1970s, so I go back a little bit further than that. But since we've been keeping good data uh, since uh, the late 1980s, the characteristics of UFOs definitely have evolved. For example, the classic flying saucer is almost gone from reports. Few people see the the, the shape of a saucer anymore. Uh, usually they're, oh, star-like objects, uh, spherical. We went through a, a period that waxed and waned when obje- objects were triangular in shape. Um, but now uh, even that shape has gone away. Uh, we've also gone through a period where um, what was called uh, Close Encounters of the Second Kind. You might remember the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Well, the first cu- Close Encounter of the First Kind is a UFO seen at fairly close range, let's say within about 150 meters. Uh, close Encounter of the Second Kind is where somebody sees something and there's some traces or remnants or some lasting effect after it's gone. Close Encounter of the Third Kind is seeing the creatures themselves that are supposed to pilot the UFO. And this in-between one of of traces uh, used to be quite popular, especially in the 1960s and into the 70s, where somebody would say they've seen a UFO and it landed and took off again and they would rush to where this happened and they would see indentations in the ground or tripod marks or tiny, tiny shoe prints, that type of thing, maybe some burned vegetation. And that all vanished over the past little while. In fact, those cases are are very, very rare indeed. So uh, maybe the aliens are just uh, a little too shy to land anymore. The The really good ones that are kind of meaty are uh, are getting rarer and rarer, and I don't know what that means. Maybe the aliens are getting bored with us, or maybe we're just not looking up enough. Maybe we're spending too much time playing Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> What was the most remarkable, but also pretty well-documented case that you have come across throughout these years? Well, certainly one of the ones that I I think I should definitely have to mention is the case of Stefan Michalik. Who Who was was, Polish. Polish, of course. He, back in 1967, uh, was uh, doing some amateur prospecting in, uh, in eastern Manitoba near the Ontario border. Uh, the story leaked out about a flying saucer, and nobody seemed to know what to make of this story. I mean, it, it's a fantastic story, but he said, you know, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. I know what I saw. And, you know, he went back with the RCMP and the Royal Canadian Air Force to the site, and they did eventually find a ring of burned uh, pine needles and leaves and so forth about where he said this had happened. Not only that, uh, the samples that they took from the site were radioactive. And the uh, government actually considered closing down the entire provincial park because of a perceived danger to the public. Um, the case was investigated by, as I mentioned, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force, and also the United States Air Force, which also came up to investigate as part of its study that I had mentioned earlier. 
And the United States Air Force, in its conclusion of the study, just listed this case as unexplained. They had no idea what to make of it. There are or there have been cases of um, abductions. Oh, there have been. There's, there have been some fantastic cases where um, uh, people have come to me after my lectures and said, you know, I didn't want to speak up there, but I think something happened. I was taken away or something came into my bedroom and uh, I felt creatures had touched me or, or done something. What do you personally think about this phenomenon? I share the belief of most of my astronomy uh, colleagues that there probably is life out there somewhere. Um, you know, the old f phrase about uh, um, uh, the truth is out there. Well, unfortunately, we're stuck in here, and uh, it's a little more difficult to try and figure out what's going on. Um, it's very far between the stars. We have no idea how to travel practically between the stars. We have all sorts of great theories. We're having trouble even just figuring out how the heck we're going to get off to Mars. It's probably still 10 or 15 or 20 years away before we'll actually set foot on Mars. And the stars are much, much further away. But here's the thing. You know, we've only had space travel for really less than 50 years, uh, certainly much less than that. We didn't get to the moon until 1969. So, you know, our sun is an average star. There are stars in our galaxy that are older. Some are younger. And when I'm saying older, I'm not just saying 10 years older. Some stars are 100 years, 200 a thousand, ten thousand, millions of years older than our sun. And our Earth, you know, we think it's typical if there's a star that has the right conditions, uh, planets will form and maybe a planet very much like Earth will form. Let's say there's a planet much like Earth that has creatures on it, much like us listening into a, a podcast just like this one, that is not just a thousand years ahead of us. Let's say it's ten thousand years ahead of us. What's the technology that they would have on that planet giving that much of a jump start? Could they travel between the stars? Nothing in our physics right now has come up with a way of doing it really easily, but maybe we're just not applying it properly. Maybe there's a shortcut that 10,000 years of development might be able to figure out. And if so, maybe, just maybe, the creatures on that little planet might have taken an interest in this blue rock that we call Earth, and maybe they're visiting us. Maybe, just maybe, we'll get to those stars someday. If you want to learn about two particularly interesting cases, one involving a pole from Manitoba and the other an abduction case of a nurse from Winnipeg, go to our website at mypolcast.com and listen to Chris Rutkowski describing both. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it.
When most of us think about nations with strong sailing traditions, Poland doesn't usually come first to our minds. However, after regaining access to the Baltic Sea after the end of World War I, the Polish government put a lot of effort into promoting everything related to the sea. Dar Pomorza is a Polish full-rigged sailing ship built in 1909 in Germany and dedicated in 1910 as a German training ship. She was bought by Polish community of Pomerania as a training ship for the Polish Naval Academy in Gdynia. She was given the name of Dar Pomorza, which means the gift of Pomerania. The first man to sail single-handedly around the world, Joshua Slocum, was born in Nova Scotia in Canada, but the first woman, Krystyna Hojnowska-Liskiewicz, was born in Poland. She sailed from the Canary Islands on the 28th of February 1976 and returned there on April 21, 1978, on a 9.5-meter yacht Mazurek constructed in Poland by a team led by her husband. Mazury. The Mazurian Lay District is where all Polish sailing fans spend their vacation. It's beautiful and definitely worth visiting while in Poland. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the 16th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by... Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In the next episode, we will tell you about a program which allows talented Polish teenagers to study in best British high schools and then continue their education in top universities in the world. How a young Canadian filmmaker's interest in Warsaw made him move there and resulted in a number of documentaries about its past. And we leave you with one of the most popular sea shanties, this time sung in Polish.
zasuli w głowie cały świat nabiera treści Wtedy chętnie słucha człowiek morskich opowieści Hej, a kolejkę dalej, hej, a kielichem zniszmy to Zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Hej, a kolejkę dalej, hej, a kielichem zniszmy to Zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Łajba to jest morski statek, sztorm to gad co dmucha z gestem Cierpi kraj na niedostatek polskich opowieści Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy znieśmy to Zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy znieśmy to Zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Marynarz, który żywił się wyłącznie pieprzem Sypał piec do konfitury i do zupy mlecznej Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Zniszmy to, zrobi doskonale morskim opowieścią Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Zniszmy to, zrobi doskonale morskim opowieścią Był na Lwowie młodszy bajtek, czort raz budin bez dnia Taka, że sam kręcił kawę z danem i to bez hanszpaka Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Zniszmy to, zrobi doskonale morskim opowieścią Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Zniszmy to, zrobi doskonale morskim opowieścią Pod helem raz mów teło, szaklę wzarła mocna ludzka Patrzę w kojem i przywiał na gąba bez płucka Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Od Falklanduśmy płynęli, doskonale brała ryba Mogłeś wtedy wędką złapać nawet wieloryba Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Kiedy popił, robił bardzo głupie miny Albo skakał też do wody i gonił rekiny Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią I choć rekin twarda sztuka, ale to wielkie złości Łapał gada od ogona i mu łamał gości Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią Wejcha kolejkę dalej, wejcha kielichy Znieśmy to, zrobi doskonale polskim opowieścią